0: Welcome to Point 2 Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I am Carson Messersmith. And we're going to be talking about the Nebraska Court of Appeals opinions and Nebraska Supreme Court opinions. Oh wait, guess what? Tricky week. No, they threw us a curve. Curveball. There's no Nebraska Supreme Court opinions this week. So, man, you think we'll finally be able to do the point two? Ooh, it's going to be close, but I think we can do it. You think we can do it? Okay, we're looking at the week of uh, December 27th and then December 30th of 2022. There were no uh, Nebraska Supreme Court decisions released on uh, December 30th. So we're going to start with the Court of Appeals. We got a whole Seven. It looks like a whole seven. A whole, wow. seven. a whole seven cases came down that week, and uh, we're going to start right now with the first one. I, is it Amon's? You know, I think that's what I was going to go with, State v. Amon's,
1: uh, A-M-M-O-N-S. I think that's probably Amon's. Uh, State versus Amon's. We start off on a high note. We have a published opinion and a reversal to start off. Wow. wow. Yes. Published opinion and a reversal. This is a uh, post-conviction relief case coming out of uh, Douglas County. Um, It appears that Mr. Ammons was convicted of a couple of felonies in Douglas County, was sentenced, um, and then he uh, asks for post-conviction relief. Um, What he alleges there is that his trial counsel uh, had failed to appeal um, his uh, conviction and sentence, and it didn't appear that trial counsel had also informed him of that right uh, post-sentencing. And um, so our court of appeals looked at this case, uh, evaluated a lot of evidence that were depositions of both his trial counsel um, himself and his spouse uh, in order to kind of determine what had happened here. That evidence is all in the record. Um, and they found that the defendant did have um, a right to appeal uh, the sentence after this judgment. Uh, the trial counsel had failed to uh, perfect that appeal, had failed to um, appropriately inform the defendant of the right to appeal, and that therefore uh, the defendant should have uh, that right to appeal. And um, the Uh, order from the Douglas County District Court was reversed. And the interesting uh, quip or note that comes from that opinion that I saw is that um, the defendant essentially in a case like this, the defendant has to show that but for counsel uh, they would have appealed. So it's not enough just to know that they had a right to appeal. It's because they they had talked about the fact that the right to appeal had been discussed prior to sentencing and prior to entering a plea. Uh, But the defendant uh, showed here that but for uh, counsel's failure to uh, appeal or uh, but for counsel's failure to uh, demonstrate that defendant had a right to appeal post-sentencing, that appeal would have been perfected, and that's the the standard
0: that our Court of Appeals gives. So notify uh, convicted individuals of their right to appeal. I think it's step one, and if they tell you to appeal, you gotta appeal. Gotta get that appeal. Okay, um, and and real quick, something that struck struck me a little bit was um, they d- deposed the trial counsel's wife. Yeah, deposed the trial counsel's wife, and I think the uh,
1: the point there was essentially again another person to figure out uh, what exactly uh, they knew at the time or should have known at the time for the the appeal. Weird,
0: but yeah, I, I, I guess they were, they were probably doing a depot. And he said, "Who'd you talk about it with?" And he probably said his wife, and there we go. Or she said his uh, their wife or whatever. Okay, uh, anything else on that one? That's it. Okay, I had uh, Van Dyke v. Van Dyke. It's a family law opinion. It is uh, heavy. Uh, there's, uh, it's a thick case, um, non-published, and it's about a child custody modification. Um, there's just a ton of uh psychiatric um reports, uh, psychology reports and uh therapists involved in this case and because of that at, at a certain point the uh judge at the trial level said hey uh, just so you guys know and I think he uh, he did this at the beginning of the case um hey just so you know um or excuse me the the she stephanie martinez judge martinez said every just so you know um somebody in, was involved in my family was involved with this therapist who's going to be a, uh, uh, a witness at this trial um, and asked everybody to waive uh, that conflict that was perceived and, and trial counsel did and then they got subsequent trial counsels at least the way i read it and the subsequent trial counsel said hey Um, maybe we don't want to waive that. And then ultimately they said, my client's already spent five days in trial and $50,000. We don't want to do this again with another judge. Um, So we went, we'll go forward. And then on appeal decides uh, after uh, things didn't go the way the litigant wanted to at the trial court level on appeal, they say, well, that judge should have recused. And the issue there is whether that waiver whether it's like an automatic recusal on the part of the trial judge or whether it's a waverable recusal where the litigants can waive that. Um, The the, uh, court of appeals ultimately found and held that the um, conflict or perceived conflict was waverable and then the litigants waived that on the record by doing that. The other, it was very fact-heavy, as you can imagine, regarding the best interests of the children. They ultimately uh, relied on the testimony of, uh, Dr. Glinda Cottom, um, out of Omaha, who is a psychologist and attorney. And, um, there was a, a great deal of weight put on to her testimony and ultimately affirmed the district court's decision, uh, regarding custody. And so all that, the, all the waivers were done on the record, though that
1: was the kind of the interesting piece. That yeah,
0: I yeah. One of them was done. Um, one of them was actually cited on the record. I assume the other one was on the record. I think there might have been an email um, from one counsel to the other saying, "By the way, you know about this, right?" I think that was at some point, point. Um, and then ultimately that was um, decided like brought up on the record. I think it's like the fifth day of trial, and then they're like, "Fine, we'll just go forward with it." Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a waiverable conflict is, is what the court of appeals is saying. And, uh, that, that seems to be the main takeaway from that. It's got a very good discussion about when a uh, trial court judge needs to recuse though. And he gets into that kind of area really, really well. Um, if that's an issue that you have. Perfect. The next case we come to
1: is, uh, State v. Van Loon. Uh, this is a case out of Washington County. Um, a number of convictions on child abuse and a fairly lengthy sentence. Uh, Van Loon appears, uh, appeals on uh, sufficiency of evidence, excessive sentence, and ineffective assistance of counsel. Uh, those are all um, pretty quickly into. to um, to the point uh, dealt with by the Court of Appeals. Um, No major issues uh, there, Uh, no issues on the sufficiency of evidence, no issues on the excessive sentence or ineffective assistance of counsel. Uh, The only piece that I will note there is there were a couple of claims uh, that were not addressed um, on the ineffective assistance of counsel clause. on the ineffective assistance of counsel side, uh, but the uh, court of appeals does note that they were preserved for uh, post conviction relief, and so um, there's some of those things that may be dealt with later. But
0: everything else was pretty straightforward. Okay, um, I also had a pretty straightforward one here. This is uh, Reliford uh, State v. Reliford. It was a uh, district court appeal out of Douglas County. Um, gentleman was convicted of robbery and assault. Um, was sentenced to 14 to 18 years on each count concurrently following a conviction um, he alleged a jury instruction was incorrect the uh, trial court uh, refused to give a self-defense instruction and a lesser included third-degree assault um, instruction and the um, Court of Appeals ultimately found that that was fine to refuse to give those that didn't really fit the evidence and then we have the ex- excessive sentence um, argument And assignment of error and it's within the statutory range you got one to 50 on each of or at least on on one of those and uh it's within well within the statutory range so they did not um overturn that on the excessive sentence allegation of error so that was all affirmed wonderful
1: um the next case uh, we have is n ray john m uh, this was a termination of parental rights case from Douglas County. Uh, this was a child who at this point in time had been uh, in out-of-home placement um, for over 32 months after the appeal had been, I believe, 36 months, uh, the record indicated. Um, so that was uh, found as grounds for the uh, termination. And then there was a brief discussion on uh, best interests and um, unfitness uh, that was fairly Fairly straightforward. Uh, nothing um, too uh, wacky from that from that standpoint. And essentially, the um, typical uh, statutory grounds of a child not being suspended in foster care are made to await uncertain uh, parental maturity forever.
0: That's that's the phrase that gets cited, isn't it? That is the phrase we see a lot. Yeah. Um, anything else on that one? Nothing else on that one. All right. I got uh, person v. DNS tires it's a work comp appeal um, the employer actually appealed claiming that the uh, injured individual um, was not temporary uh, totally disabled and uh, that the uh, vocational rehabilitation that was ordered was erroneous um, I, I'm not a work comp person Uh, but there is some discussion here regarding when that may be appropriate in the standard of review regarding that. Um, And they ultimately affirmed the uh, court's award of total temporary disability benefits uh, for a certain period of time, I from March 5th, 2018 to April 22nd, 2019. And then they also affirmed the vocational rehabilitation. And then they went into the um, rules of procedure and kind of what, a little discussion here about what standards there are uh, regarding the um, workers' compensation uh, court and, and how those uh, decisions get made. So that's that's what uh, any value would be in that case.
1: Perfect, done with that one? Yeah, done. Done with that one, all right. Uh, the uh, last case I believe that uh, we have is uh, in the interest of Preston R and Malia R. This was an appeal from an adjudication in uh, Douglas County. Uh, Again, fairly straightforward um, opinion. Uh, The uh, intake, DHHS intake, uh, arose out of a domestic incident at the home uh, where Preston and Malia um, were living. Uh, their parents had a domestic incident. Interestingly enough, and kind of the basis for this appeal is that the children weren't harmed at all during this uh, domestic incident. Uh, but the court of appeals uh, goes on to say that we don't need uh, actual harm. We don't have to show that you know the children um, sustain any physical harm. Uh, likelihood of harm is enough. And here the important piece is um, the child. And if the child was placed um, in a position where there was a likelihood of harm. Uh, The other couple facts that I would note, just because I think they were of uh, value here from a practical standpoint, was that uh, dad refused to... work with a safety plan and other measures in the meantime that may have avoided uh, this adjudication. So those facts seem to uh, indicate that maybe this uh, case was a little bit more complicated than a one-off domestic incident. But uh, again, another useful discussion of uh, when uh, children should be uh, or should not be adjudicated.
0: There you go. There we go. Hey, uh, without the Nebraska Supreme Court, we got it at point two. Well, look at that. We are good. <laughs> good, good. That was a lot of opinions. That was a lot of opinions to go to, and uh, we'll be back probably next week. Oh, I forgot to say the disclaimer. Go back and listen to episode one uh, for the disclaimer. Uh, this is Point Two Law Review brought to you by Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt with offices in Kearney, Holdridge, and Minden. I'm John Brant. I'm Carson Smith. And uh, we'll see you next time.